We're in the book of Philippians tonight. I'm going to move through things pretty quickly because I want to talk about something tonight. <clears throat> I just want to have you think about a concept that as I'm watching our society, I don't know that it's really been thought through. And with Christians, I'm not certain that it's been thought through as well. On Sunday morning, we were looking at Philippians chapter 1. And tonight I just want to focus on one of the verses that we just very quickly went through, and that is Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You remember we were talking on Sunday <clears throat> about this concept, and that is this. Are the things that are happening in our lives good or are they bad? And we looked at all the things that happened to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was saying, oh, don't feel bad for me. I wish you could understand that the things that happen unto me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And here was the idea that we came across, and that is the Apostle Paul, because the thing that was most important to him was that people would get to know Jesus, that people could understand the gospel truth. Knowing that, Paul said, you know, it's been a good thing that I was imprisoned. It was a good thing that I was on the ship. It was a good thing that I've been shipwrecked because I got to meet all these people on the island and they couldn't go anywhere. I got, to, I got to witness to the chief. I got to see people come to know the Lord. And Paul says, don't be disappointed. Because I've been chained to these soldiers, because of that, now the gospel has gone into the palace. And it's spreading all over. And Paul had this one idea, and that was this. I'm God's servant. And I'm here for a very short time. I don't know how long that's going to be. He said, you know, my preference would be to go ahead and be to heaven. But I know it's better for me to be here for your sake. I don't know which it would be. I don't know which I would choose. But I'm pretty certain God's going to leave me here for a little while longer for your sake. Paul's whole focus was, how can I get out the gospel? And because of that, he wasn't disappointed because of things that we would say are bad that happened in his life. And when we begin to have that mindset, it begins to really change the way we look at life. It changes the decisions we make. I was going through these verses with some of the ladies at the assisted living, and one of the ladies said, you know, my mom had heart issues, and she always said, oh, don't be disappointed that I have heart issues. She said, I get to go into the hospital and I get to tell people about Jesus. And all these people can come into my room. She said, one time I had so many people in the room and I just got to tell them all about Jesus. And I just smiled because I thought her mom, however many years ago that was, had gotten a hold of this concept. Now tonight, what I want to challenge you on is the idea of the Christian and burial. And I want to focus on these last few words. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And I want to challenge you with this thought, and that is, can we plan to glorify God 
in our body in our death. And, and here's the thought. Is there anything we can do in our death that glorifies God? And so we're going to talk about some things tonight, what the early church did. We're going to look at what the scripture gives us as an idea. And I'm going to tell you that the early church, once they got a hold of this idea, they actually went so far as to then demand that it had to be a certain way. And I don't believe that that's the way Christ taught it. So let's look at this idea. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we read, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do it for the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, is the section of scripture we would look at, but Jesus summarizes that when he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see what you do and what's the end result. That people, because of what you do, would glorify God. So tonight what I want to look at is how can we glorify God in life and in death? And specifically, as we look about death, what are some biblical considerations as you would plan or think through a funeral of what, what would be done? First of all, and, we're, and specifically, here's the thought that I'm going to put before you so that you're not caught off guard when we get to it. And that is, what about Christians and the way we are buried? What about cremation? Is cremation Christian? Does it give the right impression? Now, I want to tell you right up at the beginning, I'm going to present something to you. I'm not telling you that if you do it differently than this, then you, then you have sinned. But I want to challenge your thinking so that as you make decisions, you make decisions based on what does the Bible teach? First of all, what do we know about mankind? First, we know that man was created by God in his own image. We know that that deals with a part of us. It's not that God looked like me. Okay, but we know that God tells us, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I thought it was very interesting. After man had sinned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, we read that um, the body would return to the ground. So we continue thinking about biblical considerations I thought it was interesting when God spoke to Abraham and he was comforting him in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, he advised Abraham that he would be buried at a good old age. When God talks about death, he always talks about the body being buried. When Moses died, God personally buried Moses. He could have done anything he wanted to with Moses. He could have just not said what happened. He could have just said, and Moses died. But as you read Deuteronomy, you find God says, I buried him. Some other thoughts. As you think about what does the Christian burial teach us what does it represent? And what does cremation represent? Interestingly enough, the Bible does talk about fire. King Josiah, 
removed the remains of the ungodly kings, and you know what he did? He cremated them, according to 2 Kings chapter 23. Cremation was used as an object lesson of the disgust and disdain for wicked people. But you never find that cremation was ever practiced on good kings, on good people in the Bible. You find that <clears throat> the remains of the man of God were not disturbed by the order of the king in 2 Kings chapter 23. You know, we use the term, this person was laid to rest, which could only apply to burial. Surely not those who were burned to ashes and their, and their ashes were scattered on land or on sea. Now, as you think about it, every time you're going to find in Scripture, fire is always associated with judgment. And in the life of a believer, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, will we go through God's judgment? Now, we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, but in reality, as we've talked about that term, Really, the judgment seat of Christ is the reward ceremony. It's not a judgment. It is, and it talks about, talks about fire there, but what's that judgment talking about? The good things that you've done remain. You're not being judged for the bad things you've done. You're being rewarded for the good things you've done, and all the bad stuff's just gone. We look at more considerations. David affirms that after the Spirit leaves... The body returns to dust as compared to ashes. We read about Achan in Joshua chapter 7. What was the judgment that happened to Achan and his body? Well, with Achan, we realize he was executed and his body was cremated. Cremation signified the death of an evil person. The psalmist laments in Psalm 79. In fact, it, it talks about the idea of here was, a, here was someone who they should have been buried. And I, let me just read the verses for you in Psalm 79. And there we read, O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints, and to the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water around Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. The lament of David was, God, your people aren't being buried. And here it wasn't fire judgment. It was just the fact that what they desired was to have a burial. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 12, Jesus says that this has been done, talking about how he was being anointed. He said, this was being done for my burial. And he talks about his body being buried in uh, the case of Lazarus, what do we find? He was prepared for burial, and he was buried, not burned. We find in Amos chapter 2, verse 1, 
that God equates cremation and social injustices with war and its associated atrocities. In other words, what he talks about is he says cremation was something that um, was, was part of judgment. It was part of the injustices that were taking place. Now, we're used to seeing the fish symbol as something that was for early Christians. Why a fish? We'll think about that for a moment. Cremation is the stance of an anti-resurrection person, and it has been through the ages. It was the protest against the belief that there would be a resurrection as God's word promises. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we read, O grave, where is thy victory? What was Paul saying? Paul was saying there is a resurrection. The grave does not hold the believer. At the Nicene Council, which was held in 325 AD, they noted the ungodly rejected the resurrection of the body because of their, resurrection, because of their wickedness. It was associated with heathenism, according to the uh, Nicene Fathers. There was a, uh, a Roman lawyer, Octavius, and a man named Marcus Felix explained how pagans charged Christians for teaching and proclaiming a resurrection of the body and for criticizing their pagan method of burning or cremating human bodies. So obviously, all the way back in Rome, this was a common practice. The Christians were not afraid of pagan cremation, but whenever they had the choice, the way the quote reads out of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, it reads, they had no fear of pagan cremation, but when unmolested, they would always bury their dead. What did they tell us? If they had a choice, they chose to bury. And the reason why they buried was it gave the hope of the resurrection. It was the way that people could see we are awaiting the resurrection. We, we recognize that what God is teaching is always that there will be a time when we will be resurrected. I thought this was interesting. Early Christian burials, uh, funerals, consisted of five main things. First of all, they would bathe and they would wrap the body during a time of prayer, and scripture reading. The second thing, they would have a public funeral or a public burial procession which was conducted during daylight with singing and shouts of victory and the carrying of palms. You equate that to um, when Paul resurrects the widow's son and you realize the somber sadness of that that was going out. Why would the Christians do that? The third thing that they did was a service of thanksgiving around the body was singing and scripture reading. Fourth, at a funeral, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why would they do that? Because they were remembering the promise of Jesus connecting the Lord's Supper with the resurrection. This do, you know, I'm not going to do this until after the resurrection. Remember when the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign 
the Jew, uh, when the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign, Jesus informed them there would be no sign but that of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was delivered from the belly of a great fish, he would be delivered from the earth on the third day. Thus we find Christians with the fish. And most of that would have been down in the catacombs for you children. The catacombs were where they would um, do a lot of construction under the ground to get the dirt out. And so as they were doing that, they would build these tunnels underneath the ground. And now where the Christians, because they didn't have a lot of money, where they would bury their, their, uh, their loved ones would be in the catacombs. And you could tell where the Christians were because there would be the sign of a fish beside it. And that's how people would know. They were planning, just as Jesus was resurrected, their faith was in Jesus Christ. And as Jonah was out of the fish's belly, so Jesus Christ was raised, and we also claim we will be raised. There's more thought to what's going on rather than just, you know, a fish on a bumper sticker on the back of a car going, I'm a Christian. Um... The fifth fifth thing was the burial always took place with the feet facing toward the east. And if you go into most cemeteries today, if you notice where the headstone is, the headstone is always facing east. Maybe you've noticed that, maybe you haven't. The reason being is Jesus will come out of the east, and they're wanting the dead bodies to be looking, awaiting the, the coming the second coming of Jesus Christ. So much of what takes place has been geared since the very beginning of knowing that God would keep his promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where um, Satan would bruise his heel, but the Messiah would bruise Satan's head. There would be victory that would come. Let's look for just a moment at a world, some worldviews. Concerning humanism, there was Reverend Francis Potter, who was a, a non-supernaturalist. He believed everything was just natural. He was with Clarence Darrow at the famous Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee. Following the trial, Reverend and Mrs. Potter moved to the Antioch College campus in Ohio where uh, Arthur Morgan was a non-supernaturalist, didn't believe anything was going to happen. Um, They moved there in October 20th of 1930. Dr. Potter condemned funerals in part because he rejected the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. And then usually the thing that comes into it, and funerals are just crazy expensive, so we're not gonna spend money on funerals. I'm gonna guess most Christians hear that more often than anything else. Funerals are so expensive, it's just my body anyway, it's just going to turn to dust. Why do we bother? Um, Interestingly to me, in 1933, after he had condemned funerals, after he had rejected the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was Mr. Potter, um, along with 32 others, who formulated and signed the Humanist Manifesto. Theosophy. 
Theosophy is believing that time and space are boundless and eternal, and therefore they believe in reincarnation. They believed that humans are, reincarnate, are reincarnating egos that enter this dreamlike state, and after a certain amount of time, then some of their old stuff will be collected with some other stuff, and they now can come back again and again. Therefore, they burn bodies so that they can become part of the world around us. The Druids, cremation was introduced in uh, West Britain during 1884. And the Druid medical doctor would softly chant over the body of, uh, in this case, the Druid medical doctor was cremating his son, his infant son, which he had named Jesus Christ. As you begin looking at things, you begin to realize there has always been this pushback against burial and the resurrection of the body. Because it's at the heart of what Satan wants to deceive people to believe. So with the occult, there is this real importance of cremation and reincarnation that has been put together. And, and they say in their writings, there is no doubt in the, phys, uh, in the psychological relationship between cremation and reincarnation. The early church wrote this. Uh, this is a quote from Lactanius, I think. Early church would write, uh, Tertullian said cremation was a symbol of hell, of the judgment. Cyprian regarded it as the equivalent to apostasy, and that's where what happens is, is that we take a concept that's really good, a biblical concept, and then what happens, he says, if you ever are cremated, if someone is cremated, that's heresy. Now we've gone, we've swung the pendulum in the other direction, and now we're saying that Christians... If this ever happened, you're not a Christian anymore. You weren't a Christian to begin with. Cremation is the rebellious act from within the nature of the depraved mind thinking that he can defy God and foil the resurrection that will bring him forth to stand before God in judgment. That of the early church, that's an accurate representation of what the mindset really was behind it. Well, I may have lived a wicked life, but God can't get me. I mean, I'm scattered all over the place. How could God ever get me? So as we look at the history of God's people, we see God's people have always practiced burial. It's always been from the very beginning. And burial is an opportunity to literally look forward to the resurrection. Um... I thought this was interesting, and that was, I mentioned earlier the economic concerns about burial and cremation. You'll find that cremation is not necessarily less expensive than burial. Um, cremation is more expensive than what you think, and burial doesn't have to be as expensive as what you think that it is. But with all that in mind, that's not the point I'm, I'm here to argue. I thought it was interesting that 
Do you remember when Jesus was anointed with oil before his burial with the ointment? What was Judas Iscariot's statement? He goes, what a waste. We could have sold this ointment and given it to the poor. And Jesus makes the statement. He said he didn't care for the poor. He was a thief. Jesus made the statement. He said, let her alone. It's against the day of my burial that she has done this. Interestingly enough, Jesus is saying, it's not wrong to spend money on a burial. We today still honor what God has made. You know, behind this is the reason why we would say, even when things get awful, we don't commit suicide. We don't take our own life because we say, my value has no longer. It's God who gives life, and this body has great value. Just as a reminder, God practiced burial, personally. Fire was a sign of God's judgment. <clears throat> the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. The example of Nadab and Abihu. The example of the men who rebelled with Korah. The example of idols. The example of the magic books in Acts chapter 19. The example of the unsaved who were cast into the lake of fire for eternal punishment. In each of these, we see that fire is always associated with judgment and burial has always been the idea of comfort that there was a resurrection coming that you aren't uh, annihilated. Abraham was buried, Sarah was buried, Rachel was buried, Isaac was buried, Jacob was buried, Joseph was buried. Isn't it interesting that they waited all those years and they kept Joseph's body and they carried Joseph's body into the promised land and buried him rather than cremating him. It would have been a whole lot easier to carry something small rather than something large. But there was, there was hope behind that. Um, Joshua was buried, Eliezer was buried, Samuel was buried, David was buried, John the Baptist was buried, Ananias and Sapphira were buried, Stephen was buried, even when burial was difficult. So we remember burial looks forward to the resurrection, and the scriptures present the idea that to not have a proper burial was considered a dishonor. The body belongs to God. God called cremation wickedness. And we find Jesus was buried, and he's our example. So we come back to the verse again, and that is, So now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And the whole point that I'm wanting to challenge you with is, plan ahead, think about how can you give a testimony of what you believe? The last thing you can do is glorify God in your death. Now, you may not have any choice in this. It may be, I mean, people die in house fires. Sometimes after you die, your family may choose to do what you have asked them not to do. You may not have a choice. 
How many servicemen were buried at sea? There are lots of different things that would come up. Don't put people on guilt trips for decisions that were made in the past or for things that they had no control over. Maybe you have a family member who has already chosen to be cremated or they're saying, I want to be cremated. Now you can talk with them, but there may not be anything you can do about that. My goal is not to put a cloud over your head. My goal is to let you understand as a Christian that there is a reason why we do what we do and it's an opportunity to give glory to God and that's our goal. Plan that way. We don't struggle to spend money on things to give glory to God. You shouldn't struggle to spend money as your last act to be able to say, here's what I believe. There are a lot of other considerations, but tonight my whole goal was, I just wanted you to think about, here's the Bible considerations of what's before us. And as Paul was saying, don't feel bad for me. The things that have happened unto me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he says, I'm going to glorify God, whether it be by, in my body, by life or by death. So as you consider, how can I glorify God today in my life? And then tuck it in your mind for later. How can I glorify God even in my death? What would you want in your funeral? How would you want things done?